Welcome to the Beyond Mom Podcast, the podcast for moms seeking connection to self while navigating the journey of motherhood. Get inspired with our practical tools, soulful conversations, and honest stories told by other women like you. From entrepreneurship to healthy living to style, Beyond Mom will spark you to live the thriving life you deserve. And now, join our host, Brandy Zinn, as she takes you Beyond Mom. Hello, and welcome to On Air with Beyond Mom. I'm so happy that you're here today for a conversation that I know is going to not only inspire you, but is going to open up new ways of thinking about the way that you're living not only your personal life, but you're navigating the way in which you want to live your professional life, and then taking it to the level of it's all intertwined, which is really the foundation of the work that my guest today um, is really exploring through her research and through her lecturing and her writing. I'm here today with Dr. Leah Weiss. Hi, Leah. Hi, Randy. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to join you. I'm so glad that you're here. There's just so much uh, that you have to share. And I know that it's going to be information and insights that are going to really resonate with Beyond Mom listeners. Um, So let me just first give a brief little introduction into who you are and why I'm having you on the podcast today. Um, Leah is a PhD. She's a scholar, a writer, a consultant who specializes in the application of mindfulness and compassion in workplace environments. She teaches courses on mindful leadership at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and is a senior teacher and trainer for Stanford's Compassion Cultivation Program, founded by His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Leah's first book, which is called Heart at Work, is forthcoming from HarperCollins in 2018. And for those of you listening um, who also know, I also have a book coming out soon. Leah and I have the same book agent, which I think is a kind of cool connection. And it's why um, we are actually here today because we are connected through her. So I love those those Beyond Mom connections. <laughs> so Leah, um, I'm going to just kind of dive in. I want to learn more about you and more about this work. What got you so interested in thinking about mindfulness, purpose, and compassion for the self and how that affects a person in their work life? So I um, grew up in Jersey and had a was exposed to um, mindfulness and meditation um, when I was a child. Um, one of the teachers that I had in um, prep school at the Pingree School, um, he taught meditation and mindfulness um, as part of one of the classes I took with him. And I'd kind of grown up around it because my older siblings had also taken classes with him. And each of them um, had gone through periods where they really relied on meditation um, in a pretty daily way. So by the time I got there, um, I was really curious. And when I went on to college, it was a time that the interest was sort of renewed, I would say. Um, I was fortunate to connect with faculty mentor here at Stanford, where I was as an undergraduate, who helped me get some grants and go study in Tibetan refugee communities in northern India. And when I was there, seeing 
families, you know, our women and men our age who were living in the Tibetan children's village, the orphanage and school, and seeing a couple who are younger than I am now, than we are now, take care of, you know, 50 kids who had been through so much trauma and do it with joyful hearts. I was like completely bowled over and felt like I already had had the the clarity that these practices were going to be helpful for me, but seeing how people were in these incredible situations and not just coping, but thriving made me really interested in how can I foreground what they're doing and make it accessible and bring it home. And that was when I started doing more retreating and also more of the teaching that was putting this front and center and take it into your life, take it into your work. Don't think of it as a before you go to work or when you get home thing, have it through your day. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's all what we hope to do and strive to do. But yeah, the the practice is, I'm sure, the challenge. And I'm I'm looking forward to hearing more of what you have to say and how do we actually do it. (laughs) Um, Because most of our listeners are women, are moms, many of which who are rediscovering a new phase in their life after becoming moms and re-identifying with their professional self. Um, Why is mindfulness in this space, in this time, so very important? How can we begin connecting with it? It's a great question. You know, last week, Anne-Marie Slaughter was here giving a keynote um, at the business school. And one of the things she was talking about is the need for the workforce to embrace, not just accept it, but actually really value moms returning to the workforce and all of the experience and training that we get through our work as moms. And I just loved the way that she framed that. And it was very sort of grounded in there's real economic loss when we don't take back in these women who went to university and are highly educated and highly competent. They didn't lose any of that when they when they took time out to become moms or geared back in their work. And actually, you know, all the things that maybe need to be brushed up on in terms of this software or that competency are highly learnable. Um, But it's very hard for people to get the kind of training that we get as moms in overseeing these elaborate operations in our family life and actually like that, that women should stand tall and proud in that. So that is one piece. And to me, I think what I've seen in a lot of women that I've worked with, both at the business school and in all sorts of settings, I think that part of what is the challenge is letting ourselves get discouraged or believe in the fact that we have these big gaps that we need to overcome to to prove ourselves and, you know, either pivot and pick a new work situation that fits better for who we are today or get over the hump to go into a work environment that we had stepped out of. Um, And so for me, the way the mindfulness is fits in is it's a resource for people to get this clarity on the perspectives we have that are blocking us and the ones that are just frankly untrue, but they're storylines we've internalized in our heads And so if we can start to recognize them as they're coming up, 
um, when we start looking at what the job opportunities are or the things that block us from taking that next imperfect step, then when we see, which is one of the major capacities mindfulness gives us, this ability to recognize thoughts and stories as just thoughts and stories. They might or might not be true. I think that there can be this real empowered perspective that becomes available when we stop letting our fears or anxieties about what we can or can't do cripple us from from trying and being resilient. I completely relate. I mean, I I think one of the most common themes that I interact with in conversations with women in all different settings are these stories that we are told and then we begin to embody about what we can do or what we can't do or what will screw our kids up or what will screw our work up or whatever. And I mean, there's just this this overlying uh, and underlying layer of guilt that's just so prevalent, which kind of leads me in in one of the videos that I was watching, um, one of your talks you gave, you talked about compassion and what compassion is and isn't. And I think that that would be a really great concept to share with our listeners, because when you think about mindfulness, it's beginning to observe. But then, then what? Like with the things that you begin to notice in yourself, or your beliefs, what do you do with it? That's such a great question. And that is, I think that what you've just pointed to is the key transition that I think unlocks so much potential for women, for people. One thing that's coming to mind is when we approach the redefining our work or going back to work after we've had kids, I think that one of the core principles from compassion training that we use is this idea, it's a construct called common humanity. And it's fairly straightforward. It's the idea of looking, engaging with other people from the perspective of the the commonality. So just like me is kind of the phrase that goes with it. So I think one thing that can be really empowering is realizing that we are not alone in this struggle and that, you know, there's so many other women, there's so many parents who are feeling this pull and self-doubt about about whether we can be all things to all people. And knowing that we're in the mix of trying our imperfect best to to have prof- meaningful professional engagements and parent as well as we can and take care of ourselves and our relationships and friendships. I feel like that has makes a huge difference to just recognize we're not in it alone. And I think it also then provides the basis to forge strong connections with people who can be allies in the process of getting, of moving towards what we want. And what does it mean to find yourself in the position of a leader, of a compassionate leader? Where do we attach this idea of leadership with this idea of compassion? That's another great question. So I think one of the ideas that about leadership that people have been debunking in the last five, 10 years especially is that leaders are people who just sort of go straight towards what they want and aren't 
calibrating for the influence of the people around them. And I think the approaches to leadership that are being taught in, you know, the great business schools are very much focusing on the interpersonal skill set. And interpersonal relationships are vital to any position, to any success that you're going to have professionally or personally. And I think the compassion, the ability to not be uncomfortable with the inevitable suffering of the people we work with, um, of being able to be someone who people can approach and um, let you know what's blocking them from being there from executing on what they're trying to do, or just being someone who has those um, interpersonal skills that you can bridge relationships. And I think that the compassion as a trainable skill is really useful because it breaks it down into chunks of practices that we can then do and work on and fail at and keep trying at. Um, and also creates an opportunity for conversation with our colleagues and with our peers. And I think there are some inevitable points of tension that are really well engaged with this. Like, can you fire someone compassionately? You know, how do you let someone go with compassion? Or how do you give really tough feedback that in that moment might devastate a person? Can that be done with compassion? You know, these kinds of questions, which I feel like actually get at the heart of good leadership. I don't pretend they're simple, but I do, I definitely see that they're valuable. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting because I think I don't like to label things as masculine or feminine, but I think we can safely say that majority of the time women um, have the biggest problem with that that level of of task, you know, whether it's letting someone go or having those hard conversations. In some respects, we can be so evolved in terms of communication because I think we're encouraged from being young as as girls to talk about our feelings more so than boys, but. When it comes to the idea of hurting someone else or letting someone else down or, you know, ruining someone's life as it can be viewed, um, it's it's so hard for a woman to find her empowerment to do the things that, you know, need to be done and find a voice that is compassionate at the same time towards the other person and towards herself. I think that's right. I think that that becomes one of the core, you know, you're talking about this bridge between mindfulness and compassion, that when we start practicing mindfulness, then we can get more clear on the many places where this kind of tension is showing up in our lives, the places where we have the impulse to speak up, but we notice our own fear or anxiety about that. And I think this is one of the places where the compassion training can be so useful because it can give skills to get people over these fears and blocks. And often we're doing so much damage with the conversations that we're avoiding that, you know, it's not like we're actually being nice to the recipient of the person we need to be having the direct conversation with. And the people around us are, are feeling the stress that there's a rift um, going on that's not being addressed. So I feel like in terms of creating trusting, psychologically safe work environments, this really can go a long way. And I've been just impressed with seeing how 
brave people can be in having conversations that are really difficult um, and that that's such a coachable skill. Because I think for me, for sure, this is a big challenge and probably will always be, you know, either do I speak up or kind of withholding and then maybe going too far in terms of like, you know, what this is what happens. We know when we don't like have that healthy back and forth of communication. Um, So instead of having things sort of get bottlenecked and then how do we just keep that going from the first time someone's behavior at the workplace is not working for us? How do we communicate that early? give them the less sort of highly charged opportunity to to understand what's working and not working. How have you noticed men and women responding to this work? I can only imagine that for men as well. It's like, it's a very interesting tool set to become more um, inward looking when it comes to their work and their leadership. I think a lot of the gender stereotypes um, really undercut men as well um, because they also need and want to have clean lines of communication. They're also, if they're parents or if they're not, they still have families and lives outside of work. Um, What I've been seeing is really, you know, men, even coming out of the most stereotypically sort of masculine, low E emotional intelligence sort of subsets of the business world, like people from finance and, you know, VC and engineering kinds of backgrounds, taking these trainings really seriously and getting a lot of benefit and sort of reclaiming aspects of themselves. And, you know, one of the things that I feel is so gratifying is it doesn't just happen at work when you do these trainings, like these people come back and talk about the impact it has on their partners and their spouses and that, you know, cause we don't just make these changes in one part of our lives. So I, I love hearing that um, and that they're practicing in both of these places and making mistakes like we all do in both of these realms. <laughs> it's great. I'm curious um, what, what sort of companies are looking to bring someone like you in to kind of take this next step towards a more conscious way of developing their employees and their leaders? That's a great question. There's a lot of a lot of interest across sectors. You know, there's a lot in the tech companies here. And Google has its own really great training program, Search Inside Yourself. And we've got a lot of common collaborators through Stanford and and Search Inside Yourself. You know, LinkedIn, Compassion is one of their core company values. So that is front and center for them. And then, you know, somewhere like healthcare, of course, it is, Compassion is a central value, but I'm seeing more and more companies take it seriously in terms of a training and analytics and getting feedback. And so I've been seeing a lot of opportunities there. Yeah, really a lot of education, of course. Um, This is another place, mindfulness and compassion. It's, It's an exciting time to be in this work because I think it's not just that the concept is appealing, which I think it is, but we're in a time when there's so much good data behind the relevance to the bottom line across industries, the relevance to productivity, 
to creativity, to collaboration, to patient satisfaction if you're talking about healthcare or user experience and tech. So it's really, I think the question more is what are the best programs and best ways to do this and do it efficiently and do it at scale. I feel like that's where some of the really interesting conversations are happening. Mm. I think it's the new wave that you know, many of us dream of that these are the foundational principles of large companies trickling all the way down to smaller. So it's, well, I commend you for bringing these ways of thinking out into the world. Let's take a little turn in this conversation. So obviously I talk to moms all the time and you are a mom of three young children. And I can only imagine how your children have taught you so much about your own work and <laughs> how, dedica- how dedicated you really are to compassion and mindfulness. Our kids are our greatest teachers, I would pretty much say. So I'm curious, you know, what motherhood has brought to you in terms of, you know, these concepts, but also, you know, what advice just now that you are a mom and so seeped also in your work and your purpose and your passion, you know, what have you learned about the juggle and how are you navigating it and what advice are you giving? Well, I feel like, you know, in the day to day, there's not a lot of quiet, like we were talking about before we started, that there's a lot of, um, busyness. And I think that I can't go the route anymore of, you know, having so much external support. So it's forced me to learn so much external support for the sort of grounding or quieting of my own mind. So I have to learn how to do it in the context of chaos because it's chaos most of the time. (laughs) And so that is one thing that I really appreciate The other thing that my kids have really taught me, it's following on this, just this idea that practice is actually what's happening in life and the relationships. I think before I had kids, I thought of real practice was like when I was sitting and meditating and the rest of life was kind of in the way of that. And my kids have totally flipped that. And I think part of how they've also done that is they push every single one of my buttons. And so it helps like, you know, there's no spiritual bypass that can happen when you're, um, you can't pretend that you're like you're chiller than you are or that you're, you know, more that I'm more. um, So there's, I think there's a real humility actually that has come out of that and a more of an appreciation for just moms and parents. And it's hard it's really hard. And it's also always so entertaining when like, you know, my kids are growing up with different meditation exercises in their classroom, like so many children are today. And so like, if they start seeing me get riled, they'll say, mommy, go take a deep breath. I have the same thing. My son goes, peace begins with me. Peace begins with me. (laughs) Don't you love it when they serve it back to you? It's awesome. That's yeah. I love that. It's so gratifying. Yeah, but I think really that they're like the mandate for integration um, and not seeing that as a second as a a second prize. It's not like the silver medal, like it's the gold. (laughs) It's the gold medal. 
So I'm, yeah, it's been a total reframe for me of having this perspective that, and I think it informs how, like, there's lots of people who are doing similar work to me that when they're talking about mindfulness at work, they're very much privileging the seated meditation, which I love seated meditation, but I just think it's not realistic. We have to actually work too. So how are we bringing mindfulness into the work? And I think kids have just pushed me on the clarity of needing to ask some of those kinds of questions instead of just like the sort of more meditation focused perspective. What about you? Well, I would, well, I would kind of sum up everything you just said in one or two sentences, which is basically that um, Leah Weiss, who is a meditation mindfulness uh, leader, has learned by being a mother that it doesn't really always happen when you're actually in the quiet and you're seated on a pillow, but that you must find your moments of peace and of breath and of inner awareness in the midst of the crazy. And it's the moments that you find that that are really successful moments in the real word and the real meaning of the word successful. Um, so I just wanted to like re-say that because I think for listeners to be able to really, really take a deep breath on that concept. And it's not that you don't wake up 15 minutes earlier to have your quiet meditation, but that you have to really accept and ease up on yourself that it might not always happen that way, but it can happen in other ways. That's so well put. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah. So you want me to tell you what I've learned from being a mom and in relation to my, my work and my juggle. Well, there's a long list of, let me kind of try to grab it. A few of them. Um, one, I think my kids have showed me that I'm way stronger than I give myself credit for. Um, and when I say strong, I think I mean like the place of strength in which I come from. Uh, my son is tough, tough cookies, and I have had to own it and own my voice with him in a way that I've never had to do with another human. So I think it's been helpful for me. It's made me stronger in terms of saying what I need and asking for what I want. Um, it's taught me my strength. So there's that. Uh, I think it's also, it's very tough in this day and age, especially when you work for yourself or you are of the entrepreneurial spirit to know when to put it down, put it away. Um, I really try very hard. But, you know, it's nothing like you're a little kid coming up to you and saying, Mommy, will you do a puzzle with me? And you have all these things to do, but you just know that you'll never get those moments back. So those little desires, those little voices that just want you, it teaches you the, the precious moments and when to put the other stuff aside. So those are just two of what I guess my personal long list would be. I love both of those. I love those. And really that, that second one, that second point about the pull to keep doing what you're doing and the and deal with the to-do list and that those are the exact moments that we can savor. I really, that's so well put. Thank you. So I want to pull upon one last concept that really, really got me, um, 
all of you listening, first of all, I want you to Google um, Dr. Leah, Leah's recent post that she wrote for Huffington Post. Uh, what was the title of it again, Leah? Oh, the letter to the 29-year-old MBA. Yes, the letter to the 29-year-old MBA. All of you need to Google that and read it and share it and all that good stuff. It's a great article, um, and it really, really pulls upon a lot of the things we're talking about in this um, interview today about just the the inner conflict of being a woman and wanting to pursue her professional life and also wanting the family and where do the two marry each other and and how do we have this conversation? But it's so well-written and and so valid. So um, just telling you all to go ahead and read that. Um, And in that article, you know, you really, really, really pulled at some very particular advice that you would give that woman at that crux of her life. Well, now our listeners are the beyond moms, the women, the women who have had the kids <laughs> and are still pursuing what's in her life, what brings her passion and what, you know, what she personally wants to push forward. So I love some of the advice you've given in some of your videos around pausing, starting in the midst of your life, not when something else gets done. Like that's the perfect moment. We all know that moment never comes. So pausing, finding that moment in the midst of your real life. And then you talked in one of the videos I watched about finding your signals for um, looking at your patterns and your stuff when they come up. So if you could kind of like hit upon maybe those three concepts or concepts that are really simple and engageable for our listeners, for women like us. Yeah. I mean, I think finding these prompts that we are signals that we are using in our life and practicing bringing them into our life has been so helpful for me and for so many of the people that I've trained. And I can share an example of one. So I always, my kids are really into like the seasonal decorations. So we put something on the door and it ends up actually serving as my reminder when I'm coming home from work And I'm walking in the door and I see this and we change them pretty regularly. So they kind of catch my attention. I don't overlook them. Um, And that's my render like, okay, the work day is done. I might work again after their sleep. But for now, this is my time. And it just reminds me to take that deep breath. And as I walk in the house, like be available to them which it sounds so simple, but I, I think that seeing periods of time where I don't do that or the influence it has on the evening, if I don't do that, it's profound and it's night and day. So something like having a ritual or an object that as we're wrapping up our work. Um, and one of the other things, um, one of the women who took my MBA class who has a young daughter, um, talked about putting, changing her password on her phone to breathe. Hers was breathe, but we could pick whatever word. And what it was for her, how it served, she was automatically going to check and get one email done or do one last thing. And it would remind her by having to enter this password, like, do I actually need to do this right now? 
And is this the right thing? And maybe it was. And if it was, she'd log in and do it. But what she said was she also found that there was just this habit or sometimes there'd be just like this underlying anxiety. And so the way she was used to coping with it was like feeling anxiety. I'm going to get one more thing done because that will soothe me. So I think there's things like that that we can, you know, one of the other ones that I really like, I learned from a longtime meditator who is a physician and he's trained his residents for decades to when they're doing their hand washing or now they're hand sanitizing. That's the opportunity. They always do it when they start with a new patient. So it's the pause, leave the last patient behind, be in the room with this patient. And I feel like I'm constantly like washing hands with the little ones as they're making different kinds of messes around the house. So that's another one of mine. That's amazing. I mean, these are so simple and so profound. And I think that those are the kinds of tools that we have to provide one another um, in this phase of life where you're both being productive professionally and personally. Thank you for that. So, okay, we could officially keep talking for a very long time. And there's so many things we could talk about. Maybe we'll just do another podcast at some point on another set of subjects. But um, so in the interest of time, though, um, I want to make sure that our listeners know a little more about you, where to follow you, um, as well as what's coming up with your book. Anything like that, please share with us. Thanks. So it's been such a pleasure. I'd love to continue the conversation. So that is fantastic. You can find me um, at the Heart at Work Project on Facebook. I have a website, leahweissauthor.com. I think those are the best two places because they pretty much bundle the other. I have a Twitter account, Leah Weiss Author. Um, and then I, I post my, if you want to sign up for the newsletter, then I'll let you know the Harvard Business Review articles and the other media and blogs that I am doing. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll share all that information as well. When this blog goes live, um, the p- podcast goes live blog podcasts, you know, all that stuff we do. Um, <laughs> but, um, Dr. Leah, thank you for being with us today and for sharing your insights and all this amazing truth that I think in our hearts we know, but we rely upon people like yourself who have made it their life mission to remind us and share these tools and practices with us so our life can be better. And I think that's what we all want, right? (laughs) I know I do. And I get a lot out of these conversations too with other moms. And thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. You are so welcome. And to all of you Beyond Mom listeners out there, thanks for taking the time, regardless of what you're doing while you're listening, uh, but for listening to On Air with Beyond Mom. And I certainly hope that today's conversation was enlightening to you and gave you some uh, some practical tools for your life to become more mindful, more grounded, and of course, happier. Tune in again. We have a lot of other great interviews. Follow, um, subscribe, comment uh, on your with Beyond Mom is live on our website as well as on iTunes. Thanks and have a wonderful day.